Hope is found in hopeless circumstances when we wait in faith on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you asking for your mercies. Having adored you, having been reminded of your grace and mercy and the hope that we have in you now, Lord, teach us about hope in hopeless circumstances. Teach us about faith. Teach us about the Lord Jesus who has the power and authority to touch the unclean while not becoming unclean, to be touched by the unclean while not becoming unclean, who brings cleansing and healing and salvation and wholeness to our lives. Father, teach us about Jesus today, we pray. Bless us as we hear the word. Bless this preacher that he would be faithful and true. In Christ's name, amen. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 43. Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments... I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you, so, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. 
and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I don't like to wait. One of the most terrible, aggravating interruptions in life is that little spinning icon that appears on your computer screen or maybe your mobile device. And if you're streaming a show on your TV, it, it shows up just spinning about, indicating the slow progress of a download or that something that you're downloading is buffering. In, in, in those moments, I can become so impatient. It is aggravating to see that little spinning icon. I call it the waiting icon because that's what it is. But that little waiting icon is not what makes me impatient. It really just shows my heart. And this is what my heart says. I deserve what I want now. How dare you spinning icon pop up in my life. That little spinning icon pops up in so many circumstances, not just on our computers and our devices. It sure seems like God employs a waiting icon in our lives. We, we face an acute, sudden situation that demands an immediate response. And we often find the interruption, that little icon pops up spinning around where we have to wait on God. Then there's the chronic circumstances where we've been waiting and waiting and waiting, it seems, forever for God to finally show up and answer our request, that little spinning icon has just been spinning and spinning and spinning. We wait and wait. Matthew's account of these two events that we just read is a rather short account. Luke's account is a bit longer, but the account that we read from Mark is the longest of the three gospels. It includes more information helpful information about these two events. And what's interesting about the three Gospels as they recount this event is that they basically, they all follow the same pattern. See, Iris comes with an acute, critical, urgent need. Jesus says, let's go. And then a woman with anything but an acute need, a chronic need, is an interruption. And Jesus stops and deals with her. And only later does he go to deal with Jairus' daughter. Interruptions, having to wait, that's what this story is about. Some commentators view these two events as occurring at different times, and Mark just employs a device that he is known to employ in certain situations where he sandwiches one story between another story, but this view should not force us. We, we should not force this view on this text because this text really depicts, I think, very accurately the way life really is. And the way life really is is that all these events and circumstances are interwoven together. For example, we can be on our way to the grocery store and we get a call that changes our plans for the rest of the day. Jairus and the woman trusted Jesus for a miracle that would bring hope 
in their very, very hopeless circumstances. And so let me tell you, this text is about hope. This text is about faith. This text is about the hope of trusting Jesus and his power and his authority to heal diseases and to bring even a dead little girl back to life. It is about Jesus being touched by an unclean person. It is about Jesus touching an unclean dead body and not becoming unclean himself for the purposes of cleansing and bringing hope to those in hopeless circumstances. So we're looking at three things today, an acute need for hope, a chronic need for hope, and an everlasting supply of hope. So first, Jairus experienced an acute need for hope. After Jesus had cast out the demons in the country of the Gerizines that we looked at uh, last week, or week before last, he returned to Capernaum. Matthew 9 gives us that detail. He landed there on the seashore where he had been many times before. A great crowd had gathered around him. Matthew's account includes the fact that John's disciples came to question Jesus about fasting. Mark leaves that out. But nonetheless, in the midst of Jesus dialoguing with John's Pharisees and the crowd gathering, Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, who represented the elite of the society there in Capernaum. He served on a board of elders that basically oversaw all of the activities associated with the synagogue, including lining up teachers for synagogue services. He was a prominent figure in the community, well-respected. He would obviously know about Jesus' reputation And this man comes to Jesus in verse 23 with an urgent need. He has a little little girl, it says. It's a daughter who's 12 years old who is at his home lying acutely ill. And the text says, at the point of death, literally knocking on death's door. Now, those of us who are parents can identify with Jairus. We can identify the fact that if we have a sick child, we will go and take just about any measure, we will spend whatever it takes to get help for our our child who is in need. Now, we have a 911 system. We have med flights. We have great hospitals, like Children's Hospital, for example. We have all of these resources that we can call upon to help when we have a 911 emergency, when our children are sick, when we are sick when our friends and church family are sick Jairus had between little and none options and in fact in his mind the only option he has was this man Jesus and here this religious leader this this man who very well could have been a Pharisee and you know how harshly the Pharisees view Jesus humbled himself before our Lord in front of that great crowd. This prominent leader came and fell down at Jesus' feet. He implored Jesus. You know what implore means? It means beg. He begged Jesus to come and lay hands on his daughter. Jairus risked everything to get help for his little girl. It just shows the, 
his desperation that shows the depth of his sense of hopelessness. Jairus demonstrated something else, however. He demonstrated very public faith in Jesus to heal his little girl. And Jesus responded, tender mercy and compassion. He, he joined Jairus, this, this desperate and hopeless father, to travel to the home that he might lay hands on this little girl and heal her. Back in my college days, I worked as an, as an ER, emergency room technician at a county hospital in Boone, North Carolina. We would get, as those of you who are in medicine and you've worked in emergency rooms, we would get all of the, the colds, the ingrown toenails, the, you know, the, anything but an emergency. They just come in the emergency room, those sorts of things would be better treated at a doctor's office or over-the-counter medicines, but it's just always amazing to me how many people would come into the emergency room for just a simple cold. And that may be all you have, but when a true emergency happened, the whole ER staff just went in hyperdrive to deal with that emergency. Motorcycle accident, heart attack, patient come in, everybody focused fully on that one urgent, acute emergency. They would drop everything. I mean, it would be unthinkable for an ER doc who's running to the emergency room where an individual is in the process of dying of a heart attack to stop and go in a room and take care of an ingrown toenail patient. What kind of a doctor would that be? One who would be getting a lawsuit, I'm sure. So on the, on the way to deal with what amounts to a true emergency, Jesus stopped to deal with what was an absolutely non-emergency. Jairus had put his faith and trust in Jesus, and he found what Jesus did, he probably found this unfair that Jesus would stop on his way to prevent his little girl from dying to deal with this lady who had been struggling with this chronic condition for 12 years here's the irony of this the little girl was 12 years old as long as the little girl had been alive this woman had been struggling with this condition and Jesus stops to deal with her and he, and he pauses going to deal with the true emergency. Has your life been interrupted by a sudden acute circumstance that demands an urgent response? And then you find being interrupted by having to wait on your way to the grocery store, perhaps. You're, you're interrupted by a call that changes the rest of your day, maybe changes your life. Maybe news of a sudden job loss, it could be a financial problem is brought to your attention, it could be that there's now a rift in a relationship that you have, there's a sickness or there's a difficulty with either your spouse or your children. You're on your way and all of a sudden an acute circumstance comes upon you and you have that sinking feeling of hopelessness that can so easily settle over all of us. 
And we find ourselves in those cases sometimes having to wait. Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you know this requires an immediate response? We need to remember that hope is found in hopeless circumstances when we wait on Jesus in faith. Second, let's turn to this unnamed woman. She's struggling with a chronic disease and she chronically is hopeless and she chronically and she, and she needs hope. I mean, it would have been it would be unthinkable for a, just to give you another dimension of this for a first responder to be responding to a 911 call and on the way they stop to help somebody change a flat tire. Jesus performed a miracle on the way to perform a miracle. But it didn't make any sense because one was chronic, one was acute. And you would think that Jesus would take care of the more acute, urgent matter before he took care of the less acute, chronic matter. En route to a truly acute, life-threatening emergency, Jesus stopped, made Jairus wait, responded to this woman. And the woman in the story was ceremonially unclean due to this discharge of blood. An unclean person was required to pronounce unclean as either they approach other people or other people approach them. If they touch someone, that person would be unclean. If someone touched them, they would be unclean. And this is one reason why I believe this lady sought to secretively, very discreetly kind of sneak up on Jesus, make her way through the crowd, hoping to be unnoticed while she rubbed elbows with everybody. She was jockeying out of the way in, in order to touch Jesus' garment. Not touch Jesus, touch his garment. She had knowledge that Jesus indeed had the ability to heal her, verse 27. And so she took a risk, just like Jairus took a risk in coming to Jesus. She took a risk in being found out that she was unclean. And there she was touching people as she made her way. And then she touched Jesus' garment, which technically would make him unclean. While her actions could be suspect from a Jewish point of view, certainly her faith is commendable. Just like the centurion who said, Jesus, my servant is sick. You don't even need to come. Just order it so. He or she, I don't even, I don't even need Jesus to know that I've touched him. And I don't even need to touch Jesus. I just need to touch his robe and I'll be clean. That's commendable faith. Was Jesus insensitive to Jairus to stop and make him wait? Was he negligent in tending to the more acute matter of this little girl dying? And of course the answer to both are no. Jesus is Jesus and his ways are always right and true and good and perfect. Normally what he does, we wouldn't do. His ways are not our ways. But there's a purpose in what Jesus did, which we'll get to. The chronic condition was not urgent. We need to see that. As compared to this daughter who lay dying 
spot we need to see that this woman's life was a true tragedy. She spent a fortune on doctors and remedies. And she was even getting worse, the text tells us. This condition of hemorrhaging for 12 years continued. Not only had she wasted money, but she also likely just felt terrible physically every day. No doubt she was frustrated just dealing with, to put it rather bluntly, just the personal care of dealing with such a condition like this in the first century. And there's no doubt that she was disheartened because she was an outcast from the community of Israel. She was unclean, not even able to go and go to synagogue with the other women. While Jairus' expression of faith was very public, hers was very private. Jesus, however, stopped, and he did not have to stop. But he stopped to make her faith and her healing public. He felt the power leave him and knew someone had touched him out of faith. He asked, who touched my garments? The disciples went, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? All kinds of people touching you. They were puzzled. But while this seems to be an unthinkable interruption, bordering on negligence, Jesus did not view this as an interruption, but an an occasion to show mercy and compassion to a chronically struggling woman who was swimming in a sea of hopelessness. This woman did the right thing. All the doctors and remedies she sought did not heal her. Out of desperation, maybe, even thinking Jesus was a last resort, maybe. Her only option left, maybe that's what she was thinking. We we have to see that she sought Jesus. Hoping for healing and just just a little hope. We learn Jesus brings hope in the most hopeless circumstances. That one in need, be it the need great or small, coming to Jesus is not an interruption. Did you hear what I said? Coming to Jesus with your little need or your great need will never be an interruption to Jesus. And that's one of the lessons we have why Jesus stopped to deal with this woman, to teach us to bring our burdens to him, to bring them to the foot of the cross, that he is the one with the grace and mercy and compassion to give. Today, do you feel hopeless? Flee to Jesus who will stop and show you mercy and grace. I don't don't want us to not see and hear and embrace two words that are precious words that 
that are said about Jesus. And here they are. He stopped. Seek Jesus. And he promises he will stop for you. And meet your need. According to his sovereign plan. That's an occasion to hope. We need to remember hope is found in hopeless circumstances when we wait on Jesus in faith. And now the third thing I want us to look at today just very quickly is this, an everlasting supply of hope. Both the woman and Jairus really discovered Jesus as the supply of hope, the everlasting supply of hope. Upon touching his garment, the woman's bleeding issue, verse 29, stopped immediately. She felt well, probably the first time in 12 years. Can you believe that? After Jesus asked who touched me, she came, the text says, in fear and trembling. Well, yeah, she should have come in fear and trembling because she was sneaking around, trying to, touching everybody, making everybody unclean, trying to touch Jesus, risking making him unclean. No wonder she came in fear and trembling. And she, and she told Jesus the whole truth, the text says, about her unclean condition, about her hopelessness in seeking healing, about, making, about risking making Jesus and others unclean and Finding healing from Jesus. She just told the whole story. And Jesus' response, again, is unbelievably gracious and compassionate. He didn't say, you need to go repent because you put all of us at risk of being unclean. That's not what Jesus said. He said this, daughter. Think of it, daughter. This woman who had been an outcast from the community of Israel, who had no hope, he says, daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed from your disease a woman who hadn't had one minute's peace in her entire life all of a sudden now is called daughter go in peace you are healed what precious words these are for you and for me we should not take Jesus to mean because she believed she was healed no it's through the gift of faith through the instrument of faith through the conduit of faith the healing power of Jesus flowed and brought healing to her body and Jesus bestowed a great blessing on her by making her faith and her healing public because in saying daughter you are healed he was declaring her full restoration and now she could go to the priest and be declared ceremonially clean and here's the point I want to make is that Jesus healed this woman, and completely, totally, radically transformed her life. In an instant. Daughter. That is what Jesus did on the cross. He was touched by our uncleanliness. The guilt of our sin was placed upon him. And he died to pay the penalty for it. But he remained pure, clean. He's able to cleanse because he is not contaminated by our sin. And therefore he cleanses. And that's what he did this woman. That's what he did for us on the cross. And he bestows his perfect righteousness on us through faith. He imputes that to us that we would have, that we would be clean and have a right standing before him.
where God says daughter, where God says son. Talk about a miracle. A sinner being radically transformed to become a, to become a son and daughter of God. He brought this woman from years of hopelessness to hope. And that's the hope that he offers for us. Truly, Jesus is the supply of everlasting hope. Then our passage brings us back to Jairus, this acute need. The news came from the house that the little girl's dead. There's no need to bother the teacher. Not exactly the best way to bring bad news to a father. Uh, Jesus, overhearing this report, encouraged Jairus not to fear and called him to faith. Jesus said to him and to uh, James, John, and Peter to come with him. They, they went to the home. They arrived there. Morning was in full swing, weeping and wailing. Just a commotion was going on. And Jesus said, you don't need to weep. This little girl is merely sleeping. Now, that's kind of confusing. It's what he said with Lazarus in John 11. He's merely sleeping. But later, Jesus affirmed that Lazarus was actually dead. And we know in Luke's account of this passage we're looking at today that Jesus affirmed that this little girl was actually dead. So why did he say that our Lord, why did our Lord say that he's sleeping in Mark verse 39? He's not meaning that she was in a coma. Here's what he meant. Death will not have the final say. I will. That's what he meant by that. She was actually dead. But death will not have the final say because Jesus would touch her. A dead body was unclean. He touched the unclean and he said, rise. And the little girl got up. Jesus said, give her something to eat. She was walking around before she was 12 years old. The text said, Jesus took her by the hand and he restored her like he did Lazarus. Interestingly, did Jesus immediately go running to Bethany when Lazarus was near death? No, he waited three days. There's just something, something going on here about Jesus waiting. <laughs> Might have to do with his sovereign purposes. And in fact, that's what I want to bring us to right at this moment. The passage ends with, they were immediately overcome with amazement. I'll tell you what they were immediately overcome with was hope. And when Jesus comes and brings about healing, brings about the restoration of a life, be it physical or spiritual, we are overcome with amazement, yeah, but more so with hope and joy for all that Jesus has done for us. We need to remember hope is found in hopeless circumstances when we wait in faith in Jesus. Both miracles of this story teach the same truth. The first truth is this. Jesus is sovereign over personal circumstances. He is sovereign over all things. And you know what's included in all things? That little spinning waiting icon when we have to wait on him. You just knew that was going to pop up again in this sermon, didn't you? 
Romans 8, 28, 29. Listen to this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God sovereignly ordains and works through all things, including sovereignly ordaining and working through our waiting on him. And he does so to bring about our greatest good. Verse 28, what is our greatest good? Romans 8, 29, our greatest good is to be saved. And we look at salvation in its broadest sense. It is to be saved where we will ultimately be conformed to his image, perfectly glorified. Romans 8, 29. God sovereignly brings waiting. He pops up that little waiting icon in our lives for the purpose of making us and conforming us more to his image, the end of our salvation. And then the second truth is this. Jesus will be glorified even in our waiting. You know, we may get upset. We may see that little spinning waiting icon as an interruption. It's for God's glory. <laughs> need to remember that. I need to remember that. Psalm 50 and verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, says the Lord. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The woman's faith and healing was made public for the glory of Jesus. This little girl died because Jesus waited for his glory because she was dead and he was able to raise her from the dead and be glorified. Therefore, Jesus made Jairus wait to make the woman's faith and healing public to his glory. The chief reason Jesus delayed in bringing the little girl back to life was for his glory. Hope means we view Jesus sovereignly using all things, including waiting for our salvation, ending in our glorification for his glory. The psalm that Jim read earlier is a fitting conclusion to this message today and this passage today. We, we find the psalmist calling us to be patient, to put our faith and trust in the Lord. L listen to what the, the, the psalm how it describes the Lord, our stronghold, our deliverer, our refuge who promises to save his righteous and to save his righteous ultimately terminating in being conformed to the image of Christ. He does that for his glory. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Wait patiently. See that little waiting icon spinning as a gift from God that is for your sanctification and ultimately your glorification, for your salvation and for his glory. The spinning icon depicting our waiting is not an interruption to cause us aggravation, but for our hope. Spiritually, that spinning icon for those who trust in Jesus means he is at work in our lives to bring about 
our greatest good, our salvation ending in our glorification. And that waiting icon is for his glory ultimately. Hope is found in hopeless circumstances when we wait on Jesus in faith. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage. Father, we admit to you that we can so easily become impatient. We pray, oh God, that you would be pleased to use this passage to encourage our hearts to trust you, to wait upon you, to be grounded in hope because you're sovereign, to work savingly in us. And you are sovereign to bring about your glory in all things. You're sovereign over personal circumstances for your glory. And that gives us great hope. In Jesus' name, we pray. If you would take your hand.